Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Good. That's my father. He's clapping for himself. <laughs> so hopefully it won't rain anymore and everybody can enjoy their 4th of July-ish plans. Well, it's not really the 4th, Mark. Uh, my name is Jacob Dolezal. I am one of your deacons, and I run Kids Point. And you know, one of my favorite things about Kids Point is when I get to kick kids out. You guys thought I was going to say something nice and heartwarming. But, you know, when they reach sixth grade, that's it. That's, it's time for them to come and become adults like everybody else. And so this year, I have two that have graduated up to seventh grade. And they're actually in here today for their first adult service with me teaching. I was going to make you applaud them after I pointed them out, but you already applauded. So, Peyton and Gunner, it's so nice to have you here with all the adults. This morning, I have the pleasure of continuing what Nathan started last week as we look reflectively over the story of Jacob in Scripture. So today, our game plan is we're going to do a recap of the important pieces from last week. We're going to continue the story of Jacob up until the Joseph story. And then we're going to look back over what we've learned for, over Jacob's life and his legacy. But before I begin, I find Jacob's story very fascinating. Because Jacob himself is unlike a lot of Bible characters that we talk about. He's not a king. He, yeah, sure, he's a leader of his family. But he's not like hierarchy. And he's not like Paul, where he didn't kill a whole bunch of Christians. He's very much like us, very normal. You know, he came from a good family. He had good parents, kind of. And he lied with his brother. He fights. And he's just trying to find his way with God. It makes it very relatable for us. We can almost insert ourselves into this story. But one other thing. I need to correct something. Last week, Nathan said something that was wrong. <gasps> yeah, I know. I got your attention. He said that not all Jacobs are usurpers. <laughs> Why do you think I'm up here right now? <laughs> Just kidding. That's so not me. So anyway, as, J as Nathan covered last week, Jacob and Esau were twins, Esau the older and Jacob the younger. Yet Rebekah had received a word while she was pregnant that the older would serve the younger. Jacob favored, Rebekah favored Jacob, and then she helped him when it came time to deceive Isaac, their father, to receive the blessing. After Jacob receives this blessing, he goes to return to the land of his parents' families as Esau was full of rage and wanted to kill Jacob. So then Jacob slept with a rock pillow. That's important. So he slept with his rock pillow. You guys did. You were so good. You were just so captivated on the rock pillow. I love it. He had his latter dream where God reaffirms his promise that he made with Abraham. 
And Jacob makes this vow in Genesis 28, 20 through 22. If God, be, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Now, what lessons did we learn last week from the first half? We learned that God's promises can prevail even in the midst of human weakness. Jacob's journey, it reminds us the importance of honesty, integrity, accountability in our relationships, and how deceit can have unintended consequences. We also learn the importance of aligning our choices with that of God's and how our limited understanding to understand his plans. So let's pick up from there of the story. So Jacob's returning to his parents' relatives' lands, and he comes across his uncle Laban's estate. And while he's discussing with his uncle with some local shepherds, Laban's daughter, Rachel, comes out to comes out with her flock. Jacob saw Rachel, and it was it. He was done. You want to talk about love at first sight? He goes over, helps her water her sheep. Kind of a weird way to word it. He kisses her, very bold, you know, first meeting, just going for the kiss. And then he begins weeping. Like, come on, man, get it together. <laughs> She's like, what? Who, who are you? And he's like, oh, don't worry, I'm your cousin. I'm your, uh, your, uh, your uncle's, your dad's brother's sister's child. And she's like, oh, okay. She goes and gets Laban, and Laban brings her. They bring the deal. They hug. They, they kiss, and then they go to Genesis 29, 16 through 30. They didn't kiss. I'm sorry. I added that. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll, uh, I'll work for seven years in return for your daughter, Rachel, your, uh, your younger daughter. And Laban said, uh, well, you see, it's better if I give her to you than some other man. Just stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed only like a few days to him because he was because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. It is time. My time is completed. I want to make love to her. Now that is a very bold statement to say to a father about his daughter. <laughs> very forward. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. And when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And then Laban gave, her, gave his servant Zilpah, I'm sorry if it's mispronounced, to his daughter as an attendant. When the morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said, what is it you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Now this is his just desserts because of all the deceiving he's done. Laban replied, well, you see, it's just not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older. Finish this bridal's week, and we'll give you the younger one also, you know, for another seven years of work. Ugh. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. 
Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban seven, another seven years. During this time afterwards, it wasn't all big, happy family. Jacob's relationship with his wives was complicated. Leah, who was, you know, unwanted, unloved by Jacob at first, just wanted her husband's affection. And then Rachel, who was loved by Jacob, struggled with fertility. And despite these struggles, God was faithful. As time went on, God blessed Leah, and she provided Jacob with seven children, six boys and one girl, and slowly Jacob's heart was softened to her. For Rachel, she was eventually able to conceive and gave birth to Joseph, and much later down the line, to Benjamin. Then we get to this place where Jacob's time of service, the 14 years for Leah and for Rachel, it's up. And he's ready to go home, but Laban wants him to stay. They work out this deal where Jacob's wages would be based on the markings of the flock. A certain pattern would be Jacob's and the other would be Laban's. And Jacob uses some trickery and cleverness to eventually make all the strong animals his. As time goes on, Jacob starts to realize this recognize this growing disparity between him and his uncle. And he see, here's Laban's sons being like, yeah, yeah, that guy's taking everything we got. So Jacob hears from God that it's time for him to flee. So he packs up his family, and they all leave. And of course, Laban's going to find out. I mean, a whole family's gone. Your daughters are gone. So he chases them down. He catches up with them at Mount Gilead. And although the meeting was tense, they chose to walk away with peace. Laban turned back, but not before saying goodbye and blessing his grandchildren and his daughters. Through this time, Jacob learned the importance of perseverance and commitment in relationships. His experiences with Leah reveal to us the consequences of favoritism, jealousy, and the pursuit of personal desires at the expense of others. This taught him the value of Embracing and cherishing the family that he had, despite its imperfections. This time in his life with Laban and with his marriages lead to a groundwork for his continued growth and transformation. These trials, they prepared him for responsibilities and challenges that he would face as a father and as a leader of God's redemptive plan. Talking really fast. I'm sorry, guys. So next piece of our story is this reconciliation with Esau. You know those moments in your life where it feels like everything is building up to it, and it's all coming to this dramatic moment, and it's either going to be two very different outcomes. We're reaching one of those with Jacob's story now. It's time for his reunion with Esau. Jacob, thinking ahead of this situation, decides he's going to send some messengers ahead to go tell his brother of his return. The messengers returned because, remember, Esau was straight fuming last time that he saw Jacob. And the messengers are like, hey, just so you know, your brother's coming, and he's bringing 400 guys. So Jacob is stressed. He's like, oh my gosh, my brother's coming to kill me. I married two sisters. I didn't know. I, was, I thought I was getting one. He's just, he's so stressed out. So he does what anyone would do if they're going to see somebody that they think is going to beat them up. He sends gifts, 
ahead of him. He sent livestock. But before that, he did pray. Come on. It is a Bible story. Of course he's going to pray. He's learned at this point. He pleads to God for safety for his family. Then that night, Jacob wrestled with God. And the next day, no, I'm just kidding. It seems like a very random event here. We've been building to this Esau thing, and then all of a sudden, God shows up and is like, let's have a wrestling match. But we're going to go back to that. We're going to do the Esau first and then go back to the wrestling with God. But it's really this incredible turn, beginning of this incredible turn for Jacob. So we're going to look at Genesis 33, verses 1 through 11. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two servants. He put the two servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. You'd think at this point he'd learn about the favoritism thing. No, he's going to pick his children and make like a wedge to protect Rachel and Joseph. But he himself went on ahead. He bowed to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, They are the children that God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants came and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came forward and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel came and bowed down. Esau asked, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. Jacob responded. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, Jacob said. I have found favor in your eyes. Accept this gift from me, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. Yeah, thanks, Bo. Esau then accompanies Jacob for a time and offers to leave his men for protection of Jacob's family. This is a best-case scenario going on right now for Jacob. He thought his brother was going to try and kill him. Instead, they've rekindled this relationship, this brotherly bond. And see, Esau's response shows that he had also undergone a transformation over the years. The anger, the revenge that he wanted on Jacob, they were replaced with forgiveness and love for his brother. The brothers who were once estranged now wept together, embraced, basically beginning their relationship anew. Jacob's journey to reconciliation teaches us valuable lessons on the importance of humility, vulnerability, and seeking forgiveness. It reminds us that true reconciliation requires a willingness to confront our past actions, acknowledge our mistakes, and take responsibility for the pain we may have caused. Let me say that again. Reconciliation requires a willingness to confront our past actions, acknowledge our mistakes, and take responsibility for the pain we may have caused. 
it also emphasizes this need for a genuine repentance and a desire to make amends. As we look at ourselves, we should be inspired by the possibility of healing our own broken relationships and the redemptive power that forgiveness has. We should strive for humility, seek reconciliation with those we've wronged, and embrace the transformative work that God has, God's grace in our lives. So let's go back to this whole wrestling with God thing and redemption. Genesis 29, 22 through 31. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so Jacob was alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. You got to think about how alarming that would be. You're by yourself. You're thinking, all right, it's time to use my rock pillow, get some rest. And all of a sudden, there's a dude there, and he's wrestling you. And you're going till daybreak. You're just, nothing's going to stop. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with him. The man said, let go of me, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he responded, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying that it is because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. One of the most pivotal moments of Jacob's life was this encounter with God. The timing of it is truly incredible, because we've all been, we've all been thinking, looking towards Esau. And then we have this night, then this night happens, and Jacob wrestles with this divine being throughout the night. This intense struggle symbolizes not only Jacob's physical encounter, but his spiritual journey towards redemption and transformation. The wrestling match represents the inner turmoil and conflict that Jacob faced. It symbolizes his grappling with his own identity, his past mistakes, and the consequences of his actions. Jacob spent much of his life relying on his own schemes and manipulation to secure advantages, blessings. However, this encounter with God was a turning point, a moment of reckoning and surrender. It's also the basis for the WWE's uh, Hell in a Cell match. (laughs) Throughout the night, Jacob demonstrated persistence, determination as he wrestled with God. He refused to let go until he received a blessing. It it shows Jacob's desire to want to be reconciled with God. In the midst of this struggle, God touched Jacob's hip, leaving him with this permanent limp. This physical affliction serves as a reminder of the encounter that its transformative effect on Jacob's life. It signifies the breaking of his reliance and the humbling of his pride and the beginning of a new chapter in his relationship with God. Jacob's wrestling match with God ended with a blessing. God bestowed on him a new name, Israel, which signifies he struggles with God. 
This re- re- renaming is, follows along what we see in the Old Testament with this profound shift, Abram to Abraham, Sarai, Sarai, Sarai to Sarah, now Jacob to Israel. Jacob, once known for his deceit and heel-grabbing, is now marked as a man who had wrestled with God and emerged transformed. Through this encounter, Jacob experienced redemption and reconciliation with God. It was a moment of grace and mercy where Jacob's past sins and failures were acknowledged and forgiven. The structure with God, the struggle with God throughout brought about a spiritual breakthrough, leading Jacob to a place of surrender, dependence, and a renewing of his faith. This wrestling match with God serves as a powerful metaphor for us on our journeys. Like Jacob, we often find ourselves wrestling with our own weaknesses, doubts, mistakes, and we struggle with the questions of identity, our purpose, and our relationship with God. Jacob's journey teaches us that redemption and transformation is possible and encourages us to persevere in our pursuit of God's blessings, even when it feels like it's a struggle. It reminds us that surrendering to God's will and allowing him to shape our lives and our identities can lead to profound and life-changing encounters. As we reflect on Jacob's wrestling match, let's be encouraged to face our own struggles with faith, perseverance. We have to be willing to confront our mistakes, surrender our self-reliance, and engage in this transformative process with God. So now we, we look back at Jacob's life, look at this legacy of the story. In the narrative of Jacob's life, we witness the power of reconciliation. And I'm sorry, there's, a lot, there's not really any, a whole lot of good synonyms for reconciliation, so you'll be hearing that word a lot. The impact that it can ha- and the impact it can have on one's story. It's not just about personal transformation of Jacob, but it's about this story of healing broken relationships and leaving a lasting legacy of reconciliation. One of the most significant of these in Jacob's life is the reunion with Esau. After years of separation and fear, anger, rage, Jacob approached Esau with humility bowing down before him and expressing his desire for reconciliation. To Jacob's astonishment, Esau embraced him, showing forgiveness and genuine affection. The reconciliation between Jacob and Esau is a statement to the transformative power of forgiveness and the restoration of broken relationships. It teaches us that even deep wounds, years that have gone by, can be healed through humility, vulnerability, and a genuine desire to reconcile. It should give us hope, guys. Jacob's legacy of reconciliation isn't just with Esau. Let's look at Laban, his marriages, his interactions with his children later on. They all demonstrate a journey of reconciliation. And the importance of fostering healthy relationships within his family. Jacob's relationship with Laban, though marked with deceit and conflict, eventually they found a resolution. Through negotiation and a mutual understanding, Jacob and Laban came to this peaceful agreement, allowing both to part ways amicably. 
This reconciliation stands for the importance of seeking resolution, maintaining peace, even in difficult and contentious situations. Jacob's marriages with the sisters are also areas that we see this. Though initially marred by favoritism, jealousy, rivalry, Jacob's relationship with his wife evolved over time. He learned to appreciate love Leah, and Rachel found solace and companionship in Jacob. The journey of reconciliation within his marriages showcases a potential for growth, forgiveness, and harmony in the midst of challenging circumstances. Jacob's commitment to reconciliation and his pursuit to restore relationships left an undeniable mark on his descendants. The 12 tribes of Israel, born out of Jacob's marriages and fatherhood, became foundational pieces of the nation. Their cooperation and unity and shared identity were linked to Jacob's journey of reconciliation. Jacob's story that teaches, it teaches us that reconciliation is not about just about repairing broken relationships, but it also is about leaving a legacy of unity, com- cooperation, shared purpose. Through his example, we're inspired to build bridges, extend forgiveness, and cultivate a heritage of reconciliation that will be lasting impact on future generations. Now, when this piece really hit me really hard, because growing up, our parent, my parents, specifically my dad, would really force the issue, like, when the siblings were fighting, you had to go and fix things. You had to make things right. Even if you were, had clenched teeth when you were saying it, you said, I'm sorry, do you forgive me, was the response most of the time that you had to say. And like you're just thinking, okay, this is just a dad forcing this. But as I've gotten older, I've come to see why. See, my dad's parents, they both have my grandparents, they both had not good relationships with their siblings. They had, there was animosity, hate. There was no reaching out, reaching across the divide to try and make things right. They just wanted to complain. So seeing that growing up and then becoming a Christian, my dad did not want his kids nor his brothers and him to have that same relationship. So for his brothers, he really is like the glue guy between them, the peacemaker, to help them still see like we are brothers, we're family. And for us, he really, he really has uh, made sure that we don't hold anything against each other, that we reconcile with each other, no matter how angry or upset we are. Mark, you, you can go. Get the kids, get the kids, not go, like leave. (laughs) We all need to embrace this call to reconciliation in our lives, actively seeking healing and restoration where brokenness exists. We should strive to leave a legacy of reconciliation, knowing the power to transform individuals, families, communities, and bringing glory to God. So as we conclude, we're, gonna, we're looking at the big picture of Jacob's story here. The life of Jacob is a testament to the transformative power of faith, the consequences of deception, and the possibility of redemption. 
Jacob's story was marked by struggles, conflicts, and personal growth. Sounds a lot like a lot of our stories, doesn't it? Those encounters with God, through his encounters with God, his wrestling through his own flaws, and his ultimate reconciliation, Jacob's story teaches us valuable lessons that resonate across time and culture. Jacob's encounter with God reveals the transformative power of surrender and wrestling with our own inner struggles. It reminds us that transformation isn't all, often requires us facing our past, acknowledging ourselves, and seeking out reconciliation. Jacob's story emphasizes the significance of reconciling and forgiving and healing broken relationships. His reunion with Esau serves as a powerful example of how forgiveness and grace can pave the way for restoration. As we reflect on his life, we're encouraged to examine our own journeys. We're challenged to confront our shortcomings, seek reconciliation where it's needed, and strive for a deeper relationship with God. Jacob's story reminds us that our struggles and failures and triumphs are all part of a larger plan weaved into God's story. As we reflect on his story, we're reminded the importance of fostering these healthy relationships, seeking forgiveness, and we're challenged to examine our relationship and step towards healing and restoration in the face of deep wounds and fractured connections. We may find inspiration in Jacob's faith, perseverance, and eventual redemption. Let us learn that from his mistakes to seek to live with integrity and humility. We also have to embrace the transformative power of encounters with God, where we can struggle to lead to personal growth and a deeper understanding of who of our identities in him. Ultimately, Jacob's life points to the redemptive work of God in the midst of our human imperfections. Through faith, surrender, and a willingness to confront our weaknesses, we can experience the transformative power of God's love and find, a play, find our place in his story. Let me pray for you. God, I'm, I'm thankful that you provide examples like this for us, for, for you to show just how great you are. You can move in someone's life in the midst of their, their weakness, their deceit, that you are stronger than that. Lord, I'm thankful for this body. I ask that you just bless us all as we have the ears to hear what you have said. I thank you, Lord. In your son's name I pray, amen.